Hi folks, Tino here. I hope you're still in good form after Sunday's result. Now that the dust has settled on that one and on the summer transfer window, we sat down this afternoon with Anthony Joseph of Sky Sports News to get you the inside track on Celtic's various wheelings and dealings over the summer. We cover the players we got in, the ones we missed out on and the ones who have now been shown the door, but did the club do enough? Has Brendan Rodgers been fully supported in the first transfer window since his return? And how's the squad now shaping up ahead of another new Champions League campaign? In addition, Anthony also broke some very positive news this afternoon about another new contract offer which should please most supporters if the club can manage to get it over the line. So enjoy all of that and more as we once again go behind the transfer window with Anthony Joseph. Anthony, great to have you on as always. Welcome back to the Celtic Exchange. Sure you'll be glad that the, the madness of the transfer window is over now for at least another few months. How have things been for you and the guys at Sky Sports? Oh, thanks for having me on again, Tino. It's always a pleasure. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's just been a mad uh, couple of months uh, in the transfer window. And it's always like that. It just builds up, even though a lot of deals were done in June, a lot of... Uh, July July period was sort of steady, and then August it just goes all the way to deadline day. This is the same every single time since I've worked at Sky Sports News, and um, I think I'm sure the other guys who who work on transfers um, feel the same way as well. It's and just nice to have a bit of a break from it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we'll probably get into it naturally because it's impacted Celtic, but. How much has the, the Saudi Arabian aspect added to the madness? It's always a busy time anyway, isn't it? But this is this is another level. What's been the the general kind of feeling of, of what that's done to the market? Um, it's been different. Obviously, I mean, there's been a few surprises and even involving Scottish football. We've, saw, we've seen um, Jota leaving uh, for £25 million. I don't think we were actually expecting that. Um and uh, who else have they taken? They've taken Jack Hendry. They've taken uh, Saudi clubs have taken Fashion Sakala. Um, so it's affected Scottish football as well, and the dynamic of it. What what might be interesting is, I mean, we're coming up to what will be Saudi Pro League's deadline day in the next uh, twenty four hours or so at this time of recording. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if any any other players end up moving from Europe or England, big names. Uh, that's the kind of that's the difference, I think, and I think that's what uh, Jurgen Klopp was worried about because the Saudi Arabian Federation has set its deadline for the twentieth of September, but the Saudi Pro League uh, their deadline is the seventh of September. Okay. So it's, it's similar to like, it, federations have a deadline, and then within the federations, each competition can set its own deadlines for these sort of things. So uh, that's and in Europe they usually like to to keep it aligned, uh, especially the major leagues. So I think perhaps maybe further down the line, this this was sort of the first flavor of the Saudi Pro League getting involved in big names and big transfers. Uh, of, of European players from European clubs and, and at, not just people who are uh, not, I was going to say washed up, but that'd be so harsh. <laughs> it was just players who are at the end of their careers. Um, they're going for players who are some of them at their peak of their careers. So that, that's been the interesting aspect of it and the, the real game changer, I feel. You mentioned Jurgen Klopp there, and I suppose just to stay with that a second before we crack into all things Celtic. What about the Mo Salah stuff? Do you think that's a goer? Uh, the latest rumour, I think, was a £215 million offer for him, uh, a million and a half week in terms of wages, and it's Al Etihad, which is, of course, Jota's club, which in itself could have a knock-on impact on, on whether he stays around. Are you hearing anything on that? Um, not since deadline day, actually. The the uh, English and Scottish deadline day, that, that was the last time I did. Uh, I was in the newsroom. Uh, but... I, in my own personal opinion of it, and what people who have been working on this story are saying is, there's if the if they didn't feel if the Saudi if Al Ittihad didn't feel that Mo Salah was keen or even keen to speak to them, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be going all out like this. So there is something in it, um, in my mind, and those who are working on it and those close to it who are saying that there's perhaps uh, a bit of interest from the player. That's really sparking this uh, 
pursuit from Al-Etihad. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. But Liverpool, if they lost Mo Salah after the transfer window, that would be a real, real blow. Yeah, and I think that was Klopp's concern all the while, wasn't it? We referenced it, that he was so angered that there was an imbalance because clubs could could go and do exactly that from Saudi. They could come and steal a player and leave him no option to replace. So could be interesting. Uh, could be a you know a world record figure over the next couple of days for Salah. So we'll all keep a, a close eye on that to see how it lands. Let's get into all things Celtic, Anthony. So nine new signings in the door, as you referenced, you know, busy window in general, certainly busy for Celtic. But a lot of fans annoyed maybe at some of the business that Celtic didn't do in the window. And I'd, I'd like to start on that, if you don't mind. So lots of clamour from various fans, myself included, for a left-back and a striker. Uh, given the Asian Cup and the impact that's going to have, and potentially a goalkeeper as well. So, question for you, do you think Celtic were actively in for either of those those three positions? Yeah, I mean, they were actively searching. They were definitely um, looking to add a goalkeeper and left back. The goalkeeper situation is bit, a little bit different. They were, uh, certainly earlier in the window, I think they were quite confident that if they managed to identify a target who was, who was keen to come, that they'd be able to uh, get Ben Segrist out on loan. Um, but as the window started getting closer and closer to deadline day, I think they, they realised that uh, Ben Segrist very much didn't want to leave on loan. And, I mean, for perhaps for many reasons, this is just my own personal opinion, not, not from any information. I, I can sort of see why Segrist probably wanted to, to stay. He's number two at Celtic just now. And if you looked at any of Celtic's pre-season games, you'd probably realise that Joe Hart was perhaps looking like he was only a few blunders away from being dropped. And Ben Segrist would be the next in line, I'd imagine. And uh, he was perhaps thinking the number one spot's up for grabs here this season. And, and rightly so for him. If he feels he can challenge, then, then um, he should stick around if he wants to um also there's the this there's the other part of the champions league bonus champions league bonus is big at celtic there's another incentive to to stay at the club rather than than move or, or go out on loan so I, I can completely understand uh if you put yourself in segrist's shoes you can completely understand why he would not want to go out on loan uh in the window past so that made it more difficult because Celtic were not going prepared to have four goalkeepers on the books in the first team squad. Um, they all, they've always had three. They want to stick with three. It's um, Most clubs uh, do that. And it would have needed Segrist to go out on loan for them to bring someone in. And But what they were wanting, they weren't going to bring someone in who was going to be a number two. They would have been wanting a goalkeeper who would come in to actually challenge Joe Hart and perhaps overtake Joe Hart by, by the end of the season and be a natural replacement. I was just going to say, the, the life of the, the sub-goalie at Celtic, it's not a bad gig, is it? You know, you get pretty <laughs> decent wages, you know, some European travel, some bonuses, you say, for Champions League. And actually not that much pressure. You know, you're, you're not required to be the number one. So it's not a bad gig at all. Uh, the name doing the rounds, if I've got it right, is it Lovatovic, uh, the Croatian, who's, who's finally ended up at Fenerbahce. That was the the strong rumour that he was going to end up there. I think the figure he eventually went for was around about €6 million, Euro, which is doable from Celtic's budget point of view. The, the, the initial reports were maybe €10 million. £6 million is doable, but what I have heard is the, the wages on offer are something in the region of 60 plus. Is that your own understanding? Were Celtic serious then for him at any point? They were seriously interested, yes. Uh, they were... I think his his people knew that they were interested as well. I think that's one of the reasons why his move to Fenerbahce took so long. Not just Celtic, but Al Halal were interested. The Saudi we're talking about the Saudis earlier. The um, their influence of, of big wages and um, further promises and incentives to come over there were sort of swaying him as well. And Almeria uh, in La Liga were also. Uh, speaking to his people. So uh, he, when it looked like, I think at the start of August, when I reported that the Celtic were keen on uh, Levakovic, he was one of a number of names they were they were looking at. But uh, I think reports in Turkey almost suggested that it was a done deal, that he was going to Fenerbahce. 
but as you saw, it, it didn't happen as smoothly as that. He was very much weighing up his options. And with Celtic, as I was saying, their situation with not being able to get Segrist to go out on loan, that left them in a in a dilemma of not being able to go and pursue, actively pursue targets that they were perhaps want to if Segrist was, was going to be moved on. Yeah, all fair. Um, I can understand, as you say, four, you know, three senior goalies in place, four is maybe one too many. And I suppose your timing's everything in football. Joe Hart has redeemed himself, you know, big performance there at Ibrox. Uh, and I wonder if that's just given a bit of reassurance that after a bumpy start, he can be a safe pair of hands between now and the end of the season. I don't think any Celtic fan would be upset at the prospect of him being the goalie for one more season, but then, you know, winding down his time or moving on or, or joining the coaching team. But I would like to think and hope that Celtic are active in terms of finding what the succession plan is for, for Joe Hart moving forward. Um, two other key positions I'd mentioned there, left back and striker. Um, striker being a priority because the Asian Cup happens in January, potentially for a month for some players, and we could lose any or all of our Japanese, South Korean and Australian players leaving you a definite gap up top, Kyogo and O being the obvious ones, and Dyson Maeda as a forward player as well. At left back, it's more of a form thing, isn't it? Greg Taylor is, is really struggling to move on from Angeball and, and readjust to what Brendan Rodgers is trying to do. And you can give me your opinion, Anthony, on where we're at with Alessandro Bernabe, because I just can't see him fitting in. Clearly, you know, still a young guy, got some talent, but... Don't know the solution. So, first of all, I'd be keen to hear your own opinion on how much Celtic need a left-back and striker, and then anything you can tell me on what they tried to do in the window. Yeah, I think those were two positions they wanted to strengthen. Left-back was one of their priority positions, um, and striker was something they were... They, ideally, they wanted another striker. They knew they had options. Oh, was going to be coming back, and uh, I think Roger sees Maida as... And a number nine, or prefer him to play more through the middle than than on the wing. So, uh, with left back, I think he's got. I think Rogers, the, the way he sees it, and I think most Celtic fans see it is there's two. Well, there's certainly a Greg Taylor is a decent left back, certainly good for Scottish Premiership level, and as a top Scottish Premiership footballer, if Celtic want to perhaps um, compete in Europe, that would be seen as one of Celtic's weak points, I would say, of the opposition would look at look at Celtic and see the left back area as a weak point. So that that's not I'm not trying to be nasty to Greg Taylor at all. I'm just saying there's he's a top Scottish Premiership player. He's really grown into that role and he, he was he was brilliant last season and under he really actually sort of progressed and flourished under Angeball and it just he's just taken time to adapt back into what is Rogers likes as a more of a natural um traditional left back and full back role so, so with Burnaby I think when, when I spoke in the podcast last I, I suggested he might be one that Rogers likes uh, and if he can if he can get something out of him if he feels he can develop him He's been given a second chance, as we all know. He's he was obviously had some uh, disciplinary uh, issues, <laughs> or just didn't have an alarm clock. So uh, Rogers is quite strict on discipline. It's the same has happened with a few other players and uh, a couple of others uh, over in preseason who missed meeting, not necessarily missed meetings, but were maybe late for the team bus or late for a team meeting. And Rogers likes likes uh, all his players to be professional and to basically do as the club tells them when they're when they're representing the club and and, and sort of act in a professional manner. So he, he doesn't take it lightly if if people miss miss a meeting or miss the team miss the team bus or the time that they were meant to meet for the team bus so that kind of thing sort of doesn't go away for 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 Rogers it seems like with Burnaby he's been given a, another chance with um other players perhaps they won't get the same chances but perhaps it's because he sees something in Burnaby that he would want to develop and like we were we were saying before Rogers is very much a development coach he loves developing young players or seeing potential in players that he can uh, allow them to grow, allow them to flourish. So 
he has a different style to Ange. He likes to do that, do that kind of development himself. Um, so the fact he, that Bernabe has been given a second chance, I think Rogers sees something there in him. But that need that doesn't mean that they won't be looking for um, another left back in January. That that'll all depend with I guess how the the next few months go. But right up until the deadline, I think it was the the, the day before the night before deadline day, um, where I was told that it's looking unlikely that they're going to get a left back in, and it was they almost exhausted their their options and targets, and they were in no real position or no real desire to panic by. There's no point bringing in a left-back for the sake of it. I think Ryan Bertrand, it was reported that he was offered uh, to the club um, late late in the window, but a 34-year-old free agent is not what fits the model. It's not that Celtic don't need that to be to for the Champions League. If uh, Celtic one would want a quality left-back that is going to start every game and enhance their chances of competing in the Champions League and and signing a free agent, uh, 34-year-old free agent who's never played um, that level is not really the way to go, in my opinion, and it seemed to be the club's opinion as well. Yeah, and uh, Quinton Merlin was the name doing the rounds. He seemed to be someone, you know, there were genuine links to. He's playing at Nantes over in France, um, but I think he himself came out around about 24 hours before the close of the window to declare he'd come to his senses or, or words to that effect and he was going to stay with a club who'd shown a bit of loyalty towards him. So he was off the radar and another guy who seemed to fall off the radar and, and you can tell me if there was something to this was uh, Matthias or Matthias Kvisgarden, the Danish striker, the young uh, Bronby frontman. And there did seem to be something in it. There was suggestions that Celtic had made contact, but then the interest had cooled. And I don't know if that, that was due to Bronby playing a bit of hardball with the, the figures. A little bit. Um, so going back to Quinton Merlin, I, all I was told was that he's one of the targets that were, that, that was being assessed and, and monitored. Nothing. There was no bids. There was no approach even uh, to nonce. Um, with Feast Garden, there was an approach. There was a couple of approaches, actually, um, fairly late in the window, last couple of weeks. Uh uh, Bronby were looking for near, I think it was six six million euros, something like that, and that was Celtic weren't weren't keen to do a deal on on that kind of on those kind of figures. I think that would have been near record money, if not record money, for Bromby. So they, I think that position will be an, another player who I reported on was Sidney Van Hoydonk, Pierre Van Hoydonk's son at Bologna. Um, Celtic were definitely keen on him as well if they if they could bring him in, but Bologna were playing hardball um, on a number of approaches from from certain clubs. Um, I think Feyenoord were looking at him as well, and a, a few other in the Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga, and also actually Palace Crystal Palace made a late approach for him, but Bologna told them that they're not going to sell him, even though Mota, their coach there, um, quite clearly had told him earlier in the window that he was free to go or to find a new club and he didn't didn't even go for their pre-season tour. So that's, uh, uh, his agent is his father, um, who was quite baffled by the whole situation. And I think if he's still in the similar situation in January, it wouldn't surprise me if Celtic went back in and actually made more of an approach and with contact and a bid. Uh, there, if Celtic are also still in the same situation where they want to strengthen their their centre forward department again, I was always told centre forward wasn't a priority position in the window. It was goalkeeper, left back, left winger, um, and obviously centre back became a late one in the last couple of weeks um, due to Carter Vickers, Welsh, Kobayashi's uh, injuries. So. Um, that became and, and Navrotsky as well, obviously. So Celtic have six centre six centre backs on their books, but four of them were injured, so they had to bring in another one. In, in terms of an emergency, it's not an emergency loan officially, but it, it is an emergency loan in general terms. Yeah, very much so. Um, you mentioned there, you know, the priorities to your understanding was goalkeeper and left back, and I think a lot of fans would have been in the same boat. You could have asked, you could have canvassed the fans over the last month, two months. 
and a lot would said that would have said that goalkeeper and left back were their priorities. So all the more frustrating that Celtic didn't manage to to get those bodies in. And you can see why some people were pretty tense, you know, once the, the window closed there on, on Friday at midnight. I suppose what we've done, Annie, we've looked at the the various guys, you know, Livakovic, Merlin, Chris Garden, maybe Van Hoydunk, all the guys that we could have won, but never, you know, Bullseye style. But let's have a look at the guys that did manage to come in. So nine new signings. You and I covered the first couple, Marco Tilio and Odin Thiago Home. So as you've referenced, we had a, a session around about the end of June. We spoke about the early days of the transfer window. We spoke about Jota's big exit. And we covered these two players in a bit of detail then. So if anyone wants to check that out, you'll find that in the archives over at the Celtic Exchange Plus. So let's move on to the, the next couple of guys that came in. And it was the, the two lads from South Korea, Yang from Gangwon, Gangwon FC, and Kwon, who came in from Busan Eye Park. A lot of suggestion, given that we've shopped in the, the Asian markets recently, that these might have been targets potentially earmarked by Ange in the first place. Um, but a bit unclear, you know, from our side what the case was there. But what is your own understanding of, of how these two signings came to be? Well, my understanding is none of these are Ange signings. Yes, Ange was the man who sort of influenced Celtic's recruitment department to look in these types of markets. Um, Celtic have had joy out of the, the J-League. Um, K-League goes come in and done well and uh, still has a lot to prove, obviously, but uh, it seems to be uh, a shrewd signing. And so Celtic are scouring the globe. They're not just scouring... Uh, European markets, Eastern European markets, that kind of thing, or relying on the likes of Dudu Dahan um, to, to help them out. So that's that's Ange's influence. Ange's influence has, has shown them and opened them to, to new doors, opened them to new avenues. And and if you send scouts to, to places to, to watch certain leagues, they're going to find targets. And that's what's happened. Um, and, and it's not just the Far East and Asia. They've, they've also been looking in the Middle East. They've also been looking in North Africa. They've um, and also North America. Alistair Johnson's um, come in, come in from North America. So uh, it's it's not just those uh, those markets that are lying. I think it's quite lazy to f- suggest that because they're bringing in Yang and Kwon, oh, it, must, it must have been players Andrew's looking at. No, it's, it's the Celtic's recruitment department. And, and Rogers has touched on it as well, perhaps maybe even hinting, not in a positive way, <laughs> that, uh, look, I'm given the players uh, I'm given, and, I de- and it's my job to develop them. That's that's basically what he said a, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. So um, that's how that's how it works. Obviously, Rogers has a sign-off on, on, on who he wants, but basically... The way, in, in simplistic terms, the way it works is that the recruitment department, the scouting department, find these players. The recruitment department assess who would be targets, and then the manager and the management team, along with the hierarchy, will will decide which ones they go for or which ones they'll 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 go and approach, which ones they like. And it was the same under Ange as well. Ange was quite ruthless with it in terms of recruitment going in in and out. So if a player wanted to leave, Andrew would be, well, go and find a club. We'll show you the door, pretty much. And and we'll bring in a replacement before you even leave. That was Andrew's, Andrew's style. Um, and in terms of actually bringing players in, Andrew was quite bullish on who he wanted out of the targets. And, and Celtic would, would go out, bring, get them in, or perhaps move on to another target straight away. So... It's the sim- similar approach, maybe done in a different style because of the who the manager is, and that's that. Well, that's going to happen all, everywhere. But Celtic have a structure, rightly or wrongly, or uh, successfully or unsuccessfully, they have a structure of how things are done, and that hasn't changed from Ange to to Rogers at the moment, unless Rogers wants it changed, and then it might be looked at again. Yeah, yeah, at the moment being the, the key word there, Anthony. Um, yeah, I, I really hope that Rogers does have final say in it, and he's he's leaned towards it, hasn't he? He's, he's been quite he's been quite frank. It was just a couple of weeks ago he was quite open and honest to one of the, I think it was one of the guys from the fan media that asked him the question during a conference, and he was quite open about how it all works. You know, Mark Lowell and the team identify the talent, I sign off on it, and I then get to work in, in terms of coaching that player. And just on that, you know. We've spoken a couple of times in recent weeks on the show about this um, central defensive midfield position of Celtics. 
and how we've tried several times now over the last two or three seasons, or at least the last two or three windows, to try and find a, a number six, whether it's Quan is now the guy, but we had Abelgard who didn't work out, we had James McCarthy who didn't work out, we had Yosuke Adeguchi, Ishmael Asoro. There's loads of guys that Celtic have brought in to try and, and fill the gap there, and, and I wonder if it's with half an eye on Europe to being a wee bit more robust in that part of the park. But so far, they've, they've never quite managed to... to you know, plug the gap in any sort of notable way. I really liked Quan on the first impression I saw of him, which I think was against Wolves. But he came on and looked really assured, really confident, uh, really, you know, brave in his performance. He then followed that up with a bit of a shocker against Atletico Bilbao. And now we've not seen him since. So I don't know if he might fall into the trap and become the latest in that conveyor belt of field number sixes for Celtic. But what do you think? Do you think they're trying hard to find a player for that part of the park? Yeah, and I'd add uh, Liam Shaw and the Bowie Kawasi to, to your list as well there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think they're looking for that role. It's almost a role that they haven't had successfully and, and someone naturally, I know Scott Brown could play there well and, and Cal McGregor can play there well, but naturally, like since when Yama left, Am I right in saying, do you think? 100%. When Yama was a proper central defensive midfielder and he was a firefighter, but then could pick out a pass, was also a threat going forward. And he was just, um, he was brilliant uh, for Celtic and went on, went on to do well in the Premier League as well. So, yeah, it's a position they'll, they'll want to look at because they can't keep relying on McGregor there. But then they've also brought in Awata. They've brought in Odin Tiago home. So these are players who are seen as defensive midfielders. O'Reilly can sort of play deeper, but I think we're seeing he's he's a lot better um, just just in front. So uh, yeah, it's a position they they'll want to have almost as a succession plan to when McGregor does start uh, feeling his legs and coming towards the end of his career. That's by no means now at all, uh, but I think it's. Uh, something they, they need to look at because they, they need a natural central defensive midfielder. And I think more so in Europe and perhaps away in Europe um, where that's needed, someone to just sweep things up and also to give take a bit of pressure off the defence. Um, so, yeah, Quan, I think with Quan, Iwata and Home, they're all sort of projects. They are, they'll hopefully improve, perhaps more so under Rogers, and I think this is where Rogers's work is really um, going to be uh, sort of judged at, judged on internally as to what he can do with this squad. Um, I think Celtic feel they've, they've given him the basis of what could be a, quite a good squad if they're improved, and I, I know that can be frustrating as, as Celtic fans because Celtic fans want a ready-made squad that's going to go and compete in Europe now, but Celtic very much are. And, and Rogers's project is not just now, but also looking ahead to the future, as I, I talked about. Uh, yes, domestic dominance is key, but also a real focus on Europe, especially with the new format of the Champions League that comes into place next season. So, which is, as we've discussed in, in detail, and I think in the, our last podcast together, yeah. we um, that's a real game changer for Celtic. So, the whole thing, the whole idea of Rogers being here as a project, and I think he's very much got a project squad. And whether, and I, I think most, I can understand the frustrations because I also feel them as well as a Celtic fan. Uh, and it's uh, the frustrations in terms of you want that now. You don't want Celtic to go and be embarrassed in the Champions League this season. I'm not saying they're going to be, but you, I think there's fears that this Celtic squad is perhaps weaker than they were this time last year. Yeah, it's definitely been a suggestion, hasn't it? And, and when you lose somebody of the quality of Jota, you know, the star quality that Jota has, and certainly the the defensive presence that Starfelt gave you, and the creativity of Moy, you know, we often forget him because he left quite quietly, didn't he? You know, stepping into retirement. It's hard to replace such talent. You know, the the you know the Starfelts and the Jotas weren't guys that we actually even knew about before they landed at Celtic, but they brought so much over those last couple of years. And listen, the various guys that were talking about just now, Quans, Yangs, Lewis Palmer, Bernardos, they might be the next, you know, Starfelts, Jotas and beyond. But the the 
the challenge for us as supporters, isn't it, is that it's just a great unknown at this moment in time. And the word project comes up time after time uh, when discussing these guys. And you just want maybe one day, one day in the future, Celtic just to sign someone who's not the project. He's, he's a wee bit beyond that. But I suppose we've got to also accept our place in the pecking order. And guys who aren't projects command a lot of money. You know, they cost a lot in terms of fees a lot in terms of wages, and maybe that's just not for Celtic are. But hopefully, Brendan Rodgers can work his magic with Quan eh, and some of the other guys. Let's move on to a couple of the new centre-backs that have come in. So, again, as you referenced, Anthony, a bit of a crisis at centre-half between Carter Vickers, Navrocki, Kobayashi, Stephen Welsh, eh, all getting injured at the same time. And Navrocki himself was just in the door. He arrived from Legia Warsaw, closely followed by Gustav Lagerbielka. Um, do you think the club anticipated early Starfelt was on the move and, and acted quickly to plug those gaps. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think they knew that there was a possibility that Starfelt would be leaving with Jacinta going, um, and it, I think the PR around it was was quite well worked. Um, like Celtic, in terms of Rogers talking about it's a chance to play in the Liga, the Rafa Benitez, that kind of thing. But I think it's. It's quite obvious that the reason was um, Jacinta, who's his partner, had moved to sport in Lisbon. So, I mean, you can't fault people. We've got to remember footballers are human beings. People move um, when... Love is love, Anthony. Yes, exactly. But, but it's family family life. You, you move for um, certain people or certain situations, certain circumstances. And uh, he's, he's joining a He's joining a decent league and playing under a decent manager under Rafa Benitez and can be close to his partner. Um, I know it's still not that close, but I think it was very limited clubs that his agent could have been putting putting him forward for that would need a centre-back. Uh, and, and perhaps there weren't ones available or looking in that part that could perhaps afford uh, Starfelt um, in Portugal. So they've gone... To the border <laughs> to to Vigo, so it's. I think Celtic acted very professionally around that. They didn't make too much of a fuss. They perhaps accepted a lower offer than they would have wanted to had the the family situation not been like that. I think Celtic would have been looking for around ten million pounds, maybe or or near ten million. This is my guess, by the way. Yeah. It's a, um. I think maybe eight million around that. Okay. Certainly not 4.5 to 5 million. I think they really uh, made a lot of, uh, they, they were quite accepting of a situation and just wanted to move on and, and wanted to, to go and find a replacement. And Navrotsky and Lagerbielka should be, uh, look look to be decent replacements. I mean, what we've seen of Navrotsky, he looks quite confident on the ball. He, he looks like he wants to make a forward pass, not just a, a sideways pass. He's, he's quite co- confident like that. Lagerbielka, I think, uh, gets stuck in a lot. And we saw that in the Derby match and a few a few times. I, I know he got caught off the ball with uh, Dessos, but that was a foul. So it was uh, certainly not... Uh, uh, his his own fault. He was fouled. So I, I think there's. It's hard to tell whether they are going to be better than Starfelt. I think Starfelt's a player who is um, underrated a little bit, undervalued maybe by a lot of Celtic fans. Mm-hmm. I think people pick. People saw his blunders at the start of his career, Celtic career, and I think just never forgot forgot about them. And then no matter what he did that was so good or quite a lot of his stuff was just not it, it wasn't like outstanding it was just did all the simple things right and he was just a great partner for Carter Vickers but it was a partnership because he was he was doing everything right and I think he unfairly got a bit of the, the bomb scare tag um as a as a Celtic centre back early on and it was because of his blunders on early on in his Celtic career and that we forget again that these people are humans that they've just arrived um, in Glasgow in a new country, adapting to a new style of football, adapting to Ange ball, which is very niche in its own, <laughs> its its own uh, right. So, uh, Starfelt served Celtic well. He he had a good career. Um, he won won a treble. So, I think 
he goes with the club's best wishes, and I think most fans can appreciate, or most uh, fans who have a heart <laughs> can appreciate uh, why he went and, and and him going there. So Celtic got to look forward, and they have done. They they acted very quickly. They brought Navrotsky in. They brought Lagerbelk in. Rogers always wanted four main centre-backs, and he's got that with Navrotsky, Lagerbielka, Carter Vickers, and Stephen Welsh being that fourth one. It's just the worst luck in the world is that they out of the four, three of them are injured. So and, and injured for a couple of months yeah. at least. So that's the sort of you, you can't plan for that. And you say that Celtic have got six centre backs, like I was saying, Celtic got six centre backs, but Kobe Ashi is also injured. So it's uh, they have to bring in a seventh. And you like like I was saying, you can't plan for those kind of things. And they had to really do a lot of searching and and on paper, Nat Phillips is a decent option. I don't think I, certainly when people were suggesting targets and, and things like that, I, I don't think his name cropped up um, in in terms of I'm talking about online and, and fan media and all that. So, and with my mates, no one ever mentioned. Oh, Nat Phillips has played Champions League. Might might be looking for a club that kind of thing. So, Celtic have done well there to to find. On what on paper looks to be as be- as good a replacement as you could get in the time frame and also in the circumstances because he's coming in as what at least fifth choice centre back <laughs> so but I, I know he's gonna he's not gonna be fifth choice because of the injuries but you're at least fifth choice centre back but you're also gonna be the seventh centre back at the club so uh, it's, it's it's a strange it's a strange one but it's going it, to be. It's going to be busy up at the canteen at Lennox Town once everyone's back. Isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, yeah you would mentioned just the sheer bad luck to have so many centre-halves injured at the one time. And and you're right, the club cannot plan for that. You can't account for that. Um, and I think credit to them for going out and getting that Phillips at relatively short notice. Um, in terms of the bad luck, I think it's horrendous bad luck for a Stephen Wales who hadn't really been in the frame much at all under Ange. Found himself with an opportunity under Brendan Rodgers excelled in the second half at Aberdeen, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, and then seemed to get injured on the day that he signed his new deal. So, cruel luck there, uh, and I hope Stephen Welsh and the others can get back pretty soon. But yeah, as you say, quite excited about Nat Phillips. I think he's a guy who's picking up around about 50k a week, there or thereabouts. Um, Champions League experience, I think he stepped in for Virgil van Dijk when he got injured a couple of seasons ago and done pretty well by all accounts. He's played at Stuttgart, he's been on loan at Bournemouth. Uh, he's 26, he's not a kid, he's got some decent experience and actually um, there was huge disappointment, wasn't there, that he wasn't available for Sunday, but we got by that one, we done just mm-hmm. fine. And a big sign to see him, you know, centre-halves aren't guys that generally excite players, but we've realised over the last, uh, fans, sorry, but we've realised over the last couple of seasons just how vital a Carter Vickers can be, just how vital a Starfelt can be and let's see what Navrocki uh, Lager Bielka and Nat Phillips can bring it to the party. Um, guys that do get fans excited, Anthony, are wingers, and Lewis Palma seems to be the latest to arrive. So he's coming from Aris in Greece. Uh, he's a Honduran international. And apparently, um, we spoke to. Oh, Emilio. Emilio, of course. Yeah. Emilio is a Gary. So apparently, the club spoke to Emilio, uh, took some advice. But I think the deal was potentially done by then, but always good to kind of touch base. And apparently, you know, whether it's he's a Gary or others, there's huge excitement about this guy and the, and the talent he can bring. He seems to have a bit of personality as well. And question being, Anthony, from what you know of him from, from your own research, could he replace the the spark and the, the star quality that Jot has taken away with him? I think that's the plan. Well, that's the aim and the hope. Uh, as far as I'm aware, Palma is not one of the project signings that they've brought in. He's a re- not a ready-made replacement, but a potential replacement. Um, for for Jota and uh, they've spent a bit of money on him. He's a numbers guy. Jota was a numbers guy. Bad as a numbers guy. That Celtic needs someone who can score goals and assist. And this guy seems to have done it in the Greek league. So hopefully um, for Celtic, they, he can do the same. There's yeah excitement about his style. He's a pacey winger. He you know, likes putting balls in the box. He's got. He's got an eye for goal as well. So if he can replicate that, I think uh, if any Celtic fan wants to know more about him and do more extensive research, I think a number of the Scottish outlets did 
a lot of research on Lewis Palmer when Rangers were approaching him. So they'll be able to see uh, all the all his stats and all his uh, videos and, and Greek football journalists were on um, speaking about him when it looked like he was um, a real target for Rangers and he even said in his press conference that uh, Rangers were interested in him. But mm-hmm. um, he worked, obviously his, his PR have uh, done well there in terms of him uh, talking up Rangers were interested in me, but uh, Celt- as soon as I found out Celtic were interested, that that's all the it's, only club um, I wanted to play for. So it's the old line, isn't it? It's the old classic. Yes, that is. So uh, yeah, I, that was obviously just a bit of fun what I was saying there about it, but it is true. Rangers were were, were keen on him. There was there was a lot um, made out in the media and the Scottish media uh, on him uh, about him being a numbers guy. If anyone, uh, any of the Greek journalists. Um, you were speaking to they were they were saying that this guy scores goals and assists and can take on players so that i think for for celtic is is what they want because that's what jota did jota stepped up in big games he would score goals and he would um get assists as well so if he can fill that void on the left then um celtic got onto a good one there yeah it could be really exciting and, and you mentioned there that he's a numbers guy and, and speaking of numbers he's he's taken the number seven at celtic which in itself is quite a a bold move. It shows a wee bit of character from him. Um, obviously, he's following in big footsteps there. I've quoted this last week, Anthony, but I'm going to repeat the joke. He's got Miku, Nadia Chiefji, Janino, all these big names to follow. So good, good luck to him with that. Um, last signing that we've we've not covered is Paolo Bernardo. He's almost identical in terms of his his career path to date uh, to to what Jota's was. So he's played a, a handful of games with Benfica. He's flirted with the Champions League. He's then played B team. He's gone out on loan. But it's not quite happened for him. And he seems to have now come in on a similar deal. So loan with a, an option to buy. So the question is, could he be as effective as what Jota was? It'll be interesting because Celtic are quite stacked in that position. And it wasn't a position they were actually actively looking for as well. I mean, you could list the number of players that could play at centre-mid at Celtic and You'd normal, you'd nearly be in double figures using two hands. So it's like it's that that it was a surprise, but then this is what happens in the transfer window because players become get told, and this is what happened as far as I'm aware, is that at the weekend uh, before the window closed, uh, Bernardo was told that he would be have limited first team opportunities this season at Benfica. So. Celtic have been monitoring him um, for quite some time, I think over a year now, and there's there's previous reporting on that, uh, that Celtic were, were looking at Paolo Bernardo. And if a player like that becomes available, who's, who you've been tracking and see real potential in, and they suddenly become available, sometimes you've just got to go for it. And I think that, that shows... Uh, a lot of people accuse the Celtic board of sitting on their hands and just letting targets go and just monitoring people. Uh, but this is a classic case of they've been monitoring him. He's now available and they've grabbed it. So by if he if he was told on the Sunday, it was the it was at the weekend before the window closed. If he was told on the Sunday, by Monday Celtic were were active on it, and 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 brought him in. Well, started the process of bringing him in. So. That's good business from Celtic. I've, again, like I always say, I'm a news guy. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you how good he is. I wouldn't be able to tell you if uh, he's a hot prospect. But I think the, the way Celtic acted on him shows you how uh, high, highly regarded he is um, at the club by the recruitment staff. And I'll always remember what I was told when um, Jota's when Jota signed on loan and when they were in the process of bringing him in. Um, one source had told me that there was a lot of excitement about him and they fully intend and they fully expect to be um, triggering that option to buy clause. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if, if Celtic end up doing that um, in a position you would say that they're stacked in. But if he brings more quality, someone else moves further down the list so in the pecking order and someone else will, would have to go. Because, I mean, centre-mid options include the likes of James McCarthy, who's still at the club, so and, and Idiguchi who probably don't have futures at the uh, in Celtic's first team anymore. So uh, if you can keep adding strength and depth, 
then it can only be a good thing. And I think that was an example of Celtic being quick and effective uh, of doing their business in, ter- in terms of the way they brought Paolo Bernardo in, even though he was not a player in a priority position. And I think it's it's really quite encouraging to see, listen, Celtic um, have and will continue, will always be criticised for how they go about their transfer business. It's just par for the course. But it's also encouraging to hear that they've shown some initiative here, a bit of flexibility, and when an opportunity's come around that they've gone and taken it. So I think, you know, the club maybe um, should be criticised in other areas. areas. Maybe we should have got a goalie, should have got a left-back, but credit to them for seeing something here in Bernardo. And we'll see moving forward how effective it's been. But it looks like a, a smart piece of business, very generally speaking. Um, so we've obviously covered all the, the incomings there, Anthony, nine players. And, and you know, with some of the narrative is Celtic haven't done enough. They haven't been active. But nine players is a lot of bodies. So we'll see how they all bed in in due course. Um, but of course, as a result, you had to have some exits. And that's definitely been the case. We knew early. We've spoken already about Jota. So he was away early. Starfelt not too long after. Aaron Moy, he announced his retirement. But a big issue at Celtic for any manager, Ange, Brendan Rodgers, whoever else, has been a lot of the kind of dead wood that's been around the place. Slightly derogatory term, I should maybe use a different phrase, but that's the you know the the, the gist of it with some of the guys like Albina Yeti, Ishmael Asoro, Vasilis Barkas, all the hangover guys from the you know the, the COVID season, if you like, and they've all moved on. And and how big and how important do you think it is for Celtic to have done so and to have freed up the the fairly sizable wages that some of those guys will have been on? Yes, and especially Barkas and Ayeti, they were on decent money, like near top end as well, because uh, they were brought in as marquee signings in, in that window. It was, yeah, Celtic will be glad to that they've moved on and they'll be glad to move on and uh, try and get on with their careers. It just hasn't worked out um, at Celtic for both of them. Um, Utrecht, definitely got a good deal out of if, if they wanted Barkash, they got the good deal out of it. They didn't take the option to buy. They <laughs> waited till Celtic uh cancelled his contract, terminated his contract and then took him on a free. So um they've done uh good business in that in that sense. But uh yeah, a Yeti again was just not gonna get a a look in. It's I think both him and the club had made their own like mind up on each other and uh good luck to him in in turkey because uh he's i think he's moved to the bottom of the league club so they'll need some goals um from a yeti and i mean there was a time where a yeti, a yeti on paper before he moved to celtic where he was scoring for ball it didn't work out west ham he moved into celtic at such a strange time same with barcast living in hotels there's so many reasons why things can go wrong at a club doesn't make you a bad player doesn't uh and then sometimes people just don't fit the mold don't fit the club and don't fit the time so it's uh, it's never I mean, there's so many good footballers out there and certain clubs that they work well with better t- people better clubs better environments so that's just the way it goes and Celtic will move on and they'll, they'll move on so the, the thing I've been most surprised about in this window is it's felt a bit like a rebuild when after a treble winning season you wouldn't expect much of a rebuild so Rodgers has come in obviously he's got his own ideas he's got his own style but then three fairly influential definitely two majorly influential players in Starfield and Jota have gone and that leaves a bit of a gap and then Aaron Moy who was influential as well um so Celtic had to go out and, and find replacements, but also look ahead to the future because there's so much interest in other players. Celtic got to look at that as well. Celtic could have lost to Tate. They could have lost Matt O'Reilly. Um, there's, there's other players that they could have lost the likes of Kyogo, perhaps. So they've got to be constantly looking at players, looking at targets and bringing in projects to, okay, well, eventually, if Tate is going to leave, say next year, if we've been nurturing someone, if we've been developing someone, then that solves the issue rather than having to buy. Yes, you can be preemptive and and buy a couple of weeks before, like they were doing with um, what was seen a lot under Ange Postacoglu. But 
if you can bring in a player a couple of years before or a year before and start developing them, even better, because then you don't need to go out and spend before, again. So there's there's so many pros and cons to what they've done and the way they do it and um, and how they've gone about things. And there's no right or wrong way because then no, no club gets it done perfectly. Or you could just do what Chelsea do and just sign every player available and, and hope that some of them come become good uh, on eight-year contracts. So it's uh, it's it, that's what surprised me, though, that there was a rebuild because they're a treble-winning squad. They were so good last season. Um, and this season, they do just look a bit like they're in transition and they do look a bit weaker. But Rodgers, again, is the type of manager who likes developing young players, and this could be perfect for him. So let's, I think, yes, overall, if I'm going to sum up Celtic's transfer window, decent project signings, but overall perhaps maybe a bit underwhelming, given that the briefings coming out of um, club contacts and sources when Rodgers was being appointed was that he was being given a Champions League, trans- he's going to be given Champions League transfer budgets, um, Celtic's focus is on Europe. Yes, I've explained that that is literally for the future, not necessarily meaning this season Celtic are going to make a right go of the Champions League. That would be asking a lot. But with the new format, they, they see that as real growth potential. So it's the whole thing is a project. And that's, yes, it's, when there was the excitement of Rodgers coming in, people were getting excited. But Celtic spent money. They spent nearly £20 million. Um, if not 20 million uh, this summer. So uh, if there, what was being reported and what was being briefed was that there was 30 million transfer budget, we spent 20 of it. They've got January to come up as well. And Rogers has said the recruitment work will continue in January. So Rogers seems to be in on this project. And I think Celtic, it will take time because it's hard, like you were saying, it's harder to get excited by a project rather than a, um, something that you see right in front of you now. But again, it's a treble winning squad, a few outgoings, influential players, and they've recruited in. So it's a case of let's wait and see what, what Rodgers can do and what Celtic can do. Yeah, I think so much of it does remain to be seen, doesn't it? And we could turn around in a few months' time or even six months' time and say, wow, Look at what Bernardo's going on to be, and Greg Taylor's back on form, so no concern there. And Hatati's back at his best. There could be all sorts of things that that come out, uh, you know, in the next few months. But as you say, there's various pros and cons, and I'm only to just wait and see if there's more pros than cons. You use the term underwhelming, and I will come to you shortly, Anthony, for your overall score at a ten in terms of what you think the the window has been. So we'll sit tight on that for now. But um, yeah, very interesting pieces of business. Um, and we'll just need to see how successful or not they all turn out to be. Before we finish on the exits, a couple of other quick updates. So Usazi or Osazi Uragidi, he's gone to Amiens in France. I think that's him away permanently. Liam Shaw remains out on loan, I think, at Wigan. And Sead Haksivanovic, he's also gone out on loan to Stoke. And it looks like his time's up. A talented guy, but whether it was an attitude thing or, or positionally he didn't fit Roger's style, but it looks like his time might be uh, finished at Celtic as well. You touched on the new deals, and I think it's a hugely important part of the business that Celtic have done. So first up, they get Callum McGregor in on a new five-year deal. So he's here for the, the foreseeable. Kyogo then followed, Jason Maeda, Stephen Welsh that I mentioned, Leah Labada last week. And I think uh, you've just broken the news today on Sky Sports, uh, Anthony, that a new contract or contract talks have opened with Matt O'Reilly, and the club are very hopeful of getting something done uh, during this international week. Yeah, so O'Reilly's situation has been talked about quite a bit uh, the last couple of weeks because he was subject to um, an approach from Bologna and then uh, a £10 million bid from Leeds United. Uh, I think that's probably half of what Celtic would value him at, especially if they get him tied up on a new deal. Uh, He's one of those players who I think I touched on last time. He's really intelligent. Um, I'm not saying footballers aren't intelligent. I'm just saying that you, you can just tell he's he's switched on. He's a young guy. He's 22, and but he talk he speaks so well. He's already quite cultured. He's got a Danish and English heritage. He speaks fluent Danish. He wants to play for the, uh, the Denmark national team, and he saw the benefits 
of his career coming up to coming up to Celtic and also staying at Celtic because there's been a lot of interest in him and they could have gone to Premier League clubs straight away from MK Dons. So uh, he's R- Rogers loves working with players l- like him, and I'll always use Stuart Armstrong as the um, the example. Rogers loved working under Stuart Armstrong and really sort of grew his grew his career and grew his development. So it's it could be the same with with O'Reilly, and he's already, I would say, the star performer of this season. I know Celtic haven't been great this season, bar uh, the, the weekend, but even the weekend was wasn't a stellar, free flowing sort of football, uh, fast flowing football performance. It was a, a hard earned win, but the likes of O'Reilly really stepped up. He got properly stuck in and just was taking no nonsense off the Rangers midfield and um, really. Um, stamped his authority on the game early on and that was really impressive because Rogers talked about wanting um, sort of men and grown grown up performances and that he got that from uh, Matt O'Reilly definitely so he's uh, our understanding is that the, the Celtic want to tie up him to tie him up on a new contract uh, with improved terms and an extension as well until uh, sorry by the end of the, this international window. So they've got about, what, 10 days or so to um, have their talks and, and see where that goes. But as far as what I've been told, certainly from um, my sources, is that O'Reilly is keen to stay at Celtic and keen to work under Brendan Rodgers and and sort of is fully on board with the what they're, what they're trying to do. And I think we're seeing that in his performances already. We definitely are. I think it'd be a huge move and a huge statement by Celtic to try and lock him in for a longer term. I completely agree that he's been one of the standouts this season. And I would say him and Kyogo are the two guys that have really just, you know, kept their levels, you know, extremely high and they've they've been a huge part of things. And obviously the two of them combined for the goal on Sunday. So that was nice to see. So yep, I think it'd be a huge boost for all if Matt O'Reilly signed on for a longer term. Do you think Rio Hitati will be somewhere in the mix as well? The talks are that him and Leah Labada went you know extension talks at the same time with the club he initially he knocked back the initial deal by all accounts but he's still at the table it's not like he said nope and he's holding out for a move you think Rio Hattati might put pen to paper as well sometime soon yeah I think the club are hopeful that there can be a, a deal done there uh there was again Hattati was someone who's who'd been talked about a lot over the window and linked with moves to even Saudi Arabia um and the there's never been any suggestion from Hatate's camp, uh, certainly not publicly, that Hatate wants to leave or is desperate to leave. I think people were using, I think really harshly, one video of him walking past um, fans after the game as, oh, he's just not into it anymore, or he's, he's given up, that sort of thing. But if you uh, listen to Brendan Rogers said he's he's spoken to Atate, he's asked he's told him where he feels he can improve on his game and remember he's injured at the moment as well so where he can feel he can improve and develop and what he would what he needs to do to be a mainstay in his starting 11 and according to Rogers he's been very receptive to that and he's he's learning and he's uh, trying to de- develop the way Rogers is asking him to so I mean that's positive signs, and it was positive signs when, even though I heard uh, he rejected the first offer that the club made him, that's quite normal. That can be who's to uh, might have even happened with a badder. I'm I'm not sure, but w- what we do know is with Hatati, he's rejected the first the first offer, but is open to negotiate after the transfer window. Um, that's the only part that suggests he was quite content to maybe uh, keep his options open depending on on what might have happened late on in the window or if something happened late on in the window but um as far as the end of last week that was still the case that at the end after the transfer window they would sit down and have talks and I think that'll be the case during this international break so certainly we'll hope to tie down Matt O'Reilly and make some progress um with with Rio Hitati. And I think we'd all be pleased with that. It's, it's obviously hugely important who Celtic bring in during such a transfer window. Equally important, you know, that we move on players that are surplus to requirements. But hugely important that you tie down your key players. And Matt O'Reilly, Rio Hattati are absolutely 
you know, two of the most important guys at Celtic Park. Um, Anthony, as we start to get towards the end of this episode, I want to ask you just a couple of key questions. And one uh, I'd mentioned just a few moments ago, it's your summary, your overall um, scoring out of 10 of this transfer window. Obviously, it's quite a hard thing to gauge. There's so many moving parts. But I think you used the term underwhelming, um, which stood out to me. But what would you say out of 10 in terms of Celtic scoring and why? Uh, because you, I mean, there's a major context to this. <laughs> if because there's because there was so much expectation that there might be a marquee signing or um, there might be a big, uh, big name coming in based on Jota leaving and Starfelt leaving and Rogers coming in and wanting this and, and being given this Champions League transfer budget. I would say it's six, six out of ten. I think they've, at the moment, they look a bit weaker, but that could also be down to transition and not down to the transfer window. Um, but they have lost key players, and at the moment, those those players haven't been replaced with anyone who's who's flying out. Like, for example, Navrotsky's injured at the moment, so you can't possibly fully judge him. Um, I, and I, again, I hate doing scoring systems like this, but you've asked me, so I'd say six. Um, it's been underwhelming. But there's potential for us to, in hindsight, look back and say, oh, well, actually, that was a great window because they brought in these project players and Rodgers has developed them into star first team uh, signings and scoring goals for Celtic in the league and uh, in Champions League. So that's that's the kind of that's the kind of window, I guess, they're maybe hoping for Celtic, but I think not getting a goalkeeper, I think Celtic are, yes, Hart was was very good. And I think Hart has, Hart has served Celtic very well over the last two years. But I think this might be a one year too much in terms of him being able to perform at the top level. I think it'd be fine for the Scottish Premiership. I think when in Europe, that might be the where the fear is um, amongst the Celtic support. So I think... It's a shame. Obviously, we talked about the circumstances of why they weren't able to bring a, another goalkeeper in to, to challenge him. Um, that's just unfortunate the way it's worked out. Uh, and not being able to improve on their left-back options also. Because they didn't sign a goalkeeper and because they didn't sign a left-back, I think that's that's the main, main reason. And losing Jota, let's see how Lewis Palmer does. But he is meant to be the replacement for Jota, so... Uh, an underwhelming six because I thought it was it was maybe going to be better, but that's maybe because of my own expectations. Yeah, I think that's where where we all are. Um, with Roger coming in, we all thought, well, he's not coming in without promises and guarantees and budgets, and I think that's why you get your hopes up that there's going to be a really, you know, you're going to be blown away by the summer activity. And and I think certainly I've done some good business. But I don't, I wouldn't use the term, you know, blown away. I don't think we've done that. And it's, it's hard. I know I've asked you a tough question there. It is tricky, isn't it, to give a scoring? Because a lot of it's the unknown at this moment in time. You've mentioned, you know, Navrocki's out injured. Louis Palmer, for example, or Bernardo or Yang or whoever could go on, could, could go on to become an absolute superstar, you know, a real world beater. And, and then you'd be saying, well, that's six. Actually, that, that's an eight, you know, with hindsight. But I'll take the six for now. And I can just see the headlines, you know, Sky Sportsman slam Celtic summer transfer activity, <laughs> but that way for others to make those headlines. Um, just yeah. a couple of final questions, Anthony. Um, question one, and, and I'll bring them together, but question one, has Brendan Rodgers been back suitably, in your opinion? And secondly, is this new squad now capable of competing with the likes of Feyenoord, Atletico Madrid and Lazio in the Champions League? Yeah. Um, first question, yeah, I think he has been back suitably. I think if you spend 20 million in one window... That has been back suitably. So um, whether Rogers wanted more, perhaps, or was expecting more in this first um, window back as Celtic manager, perhaps. I think Celtic fans were expecting more. But I don't think you can accuse the board of not backing them when they've spent £20 million. It's, it's all about who they've brought in now and are they going to be good enough to step up. So... Yeah, I, th- I think in terms of financially, he's been backed. Um, are they capable of competing with Feyenoord, Atletico Madrid and Lazio in the Champions League? I think it's a hopeful draw for Celtic. I think if you can get Feyenoord in your top... I mean, I'm not saying Celtic are going to beat Feyenoord home and away, but if you could get out of those pot one teams, 
if you could get Feyenoord, you've done well. So, uh, and I think it was Kieran Maguire, who's amazing with all the finances um, of football, uh, who, who we use on Sky Sports News re- regularly as well. He was comparing the finance, the finances of the four clubs in this group, and Celtic are very close second, but th- they're sitting third, but are very close to Lazio. So and and quite above uh, Feyenoord. So in terms of trying to get that third place, Celtic can't be saying that um, the Celtic fans can't be saying using it as an excuse. Or if, if Celtic finish fourth, then uh, oh, but these teams are got so much backing, or so much have got so much financial muscle because Celtic's finances are better than Feyenoord's and very close to Lazio's. And with Celtic beat Lazio home and away last time, and you could argue that I mean I've seen I saw a lot of Serie A last season as well. Uh, you could argue that Lazio team that Celtic beat were stronger. Um, so it'll be interesting to see see what happens. I think Celtic can make a real good go of it, but. My only, guess, worries or concerns, it's not a worry, it's uh, more just a slight concern is that Celtic haven't properly clicked yet under Rodgers and they do seem like they're in transition when perhaps I didn't expect them to be in this sort of situation and they do seem like they are a little bit weaker than this time last year. So, But the draw, I, I guess, you'd maybe say is kinder this time around than last time. And and if Celtic can, Celtic should be aiming to get Europe after Christmas in this group. And I think Rodgers will be almost judged on that in terms of Europe this season as well. Yeah, and I think most of us would be pretty happy with Europe of any sorts after Christmas. Europa League, that would be something to look forward to. Champions League would be huge. Mm -hmm. And I just think you'd use the word hopeful a couple of times there in terms of, you know, the group and what it can potentially bring. And that's what I would be as well. I think it's a pretty favourable draw. I think there's excitement around about what some of these new guys can offer. And ultimately, you know, it gives us reason for optimism heading into the next, you know, few weeks and months ahead. We're only now, what, two weeks out from match day one of the Champions League. That's the 19th of September. So the games will come quick and fast, Anthony, and, and we'll find out very soon uh, just exactly how strong this Celtic team are or not. Um, but Anthony, as always, I just want to finish by thanking you for taking the time to join us here in the Celtic Exchange and for, for providing your insight uh, on what's been another Pretty hectic transfer window. Hopefully things aren't quite as busy for you or quite as manic for you over the next few months. But thanks again for coming on the show and we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks, Tino. Thank you.